Please help me, O God, to deliver your word in your power, in your strength, with clarity, with consistency to Scripture, and with pressing practical application in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Late Friday night, I got back from an emergency call because a friend was in big trouble and had been taken by ambulance. And so Sandy and I left our house, drove into town, and went to see this man. And we got back quite late. And I began to pray because I had not finished going through my monthly prayer list. I have a daily prayer list with Sandy, and I have a monthly prayer list uh, for just for myself. And it happened to be on that day, I came to the G's. And as I was praying for Mr. G, whose wife has cancer, who was a very dear friend of mine who committed his life to Christ while he, when he moved to Alexandria and now has moved away, I was praying for him. And as I prayed in my spirit, not out loud, this phrase came to me, Lord, please, please don't let his faith fail. Lord, please don't let his faith fail. Have you ever been so overwhelmed with the circumstances of life that you begin to say, God, where are you? Lord, you've heard my prayers in the past. You've answered those prayers. You've done extraordinary things for me. But now, Lord, where are you? You ever felt that way? And so I began to pray for my friend Darren as I prayed for his wife as she is, has had to leave her children with a sister and travel out of town to a big place in Colorado. And I was pleading with the Lord, Lord, don't let his faith fail. And as I was praying that, I had this overwhelming sense, scrap that sermon. I'll get to it next week. Scrap that sermon and tell my people what I'm about to reveal to them in this passage of Scripture. Now, I want you to notice in verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked, he's demanded. Do you know that Satan is a demander? Satan doesn't like to take no for an answer. In fact, if you tell Satan no, he's coming back another way. When you lock that door, he's going to try that door. When you've got all those doors locked, he's going to try to see if one of those windows opens. Satan is persistent. Whatever else you may say of Satan, he certainly is persistent. And he will never give up until he is cast at the end of the millennium in the lake of fire. He'll never give up. He's after you. He wants you. He wants to eat you up. He wants to eat you alive. Now, he can never steal the soul of one of God's own elect. He cannot do that. But he can make people's lives miserable. And he can make them doubt God to the point that they harden their hearts and no longer pray with faith ever again. Pray, yes, but pray with faith. He can do those things. Look at what Jesus says here to Simon Peter. Satan has asked to sift you. If you notice down at the bottom, it says in verse 31, the Greek is plural. One of the things I loved about the King James Version, and I still have read through the King James Version more than any other Bible, 
And I still adore it. I read a different Bible every year and mark it all up. I love it for one reason. Who are you? Who art thou? Who are you? Who art thou? Pointing at my wife. Thou, singular, you, plural. And what Jesus is saying to Simon Peter is this. Satan has demanded to sift y'all. See, it's good to be Southern, isn't it? To sift y'all this wheat. Every single one of you. Every single one of you. Who was one of them that got sifted? Judas Iscariot. Did he get sifted? Oh, yes. The others get sifted? Oh, yes. Every single one of them got sifted. You know what happens when you're sifted? Well, you've ever sifted the flour. You know that. And you, you get the, the nice flour coming out when you turn that little thing around the screen. But in the ancient world, you know, the sifting it had to do with, with making sure that what was left was the good stuff and the chaff is blown away. And when Satan gets permission to sift you or me, some things are going to happen. What happens when God authorizes Satan to sift us? You know what happens? You know, the most sanctifying times in the life of the Christian church have been when everything was coming up roses, right? When the church became prosperous, when the Edict of Milan was issued in 313, and Christians for the first time since the death of the last apostle that was an eyewitness to the resurrection, when they were finally given toleration, and in 325, when Constantine the Great made Christianity the official religion of the empire, now, man, it's prosperous to be a Christian. Aren't those the periods of greatest revival of the souls of God's people? No, it's the exact opposite. It's in persecution that the church grows. It's in suffering that the Christian grows. When you go through trials and torments in this life and trouble, Lord, how much more can I take? What happens is that Satan's sifting leads to a refinement in your life and mine. I can look back over my life, soon to be 75. I can look back and say the best periods of my whole life have been the times when the trouble was the greatest. And I realized, Lord, I don't have the ability to unlock this problem and solve it. That's worthless. Lord, I've got nothing. All I can do is cling to you and your promises. Those have been the greatest periods in my life. Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to sift y'all as wheat. But now notice verse 32. But I prayed for thee. I prayed for thee. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't just give general prayers? Have you ever analyzed his great high priestly prayer in John 17? Hold your hand there for a moment and turn over there with me to John chapter 17. And look at what Jesus, how he prays in John 17. Just before he goes to the cross, listen to what he prays. He says in verse 9, John 17, 9, page 1680, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. 
Do you realize how special it is to have Jesus praying for you? Think about verse 9, John 17, 9. I pray for them. I don't pray for the world. Does Jesus pray for everybody? No, He does not. This is the example of Jesus' own prayer. I pray for them. I pray not for them. Now look over at verse 20, page 1680, John 17, 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Do you know Jesus, around the year 30 A.D., was praying for you today? Jesus, almost 2,000 years ago, was praying for you. For you this very day. For Mother's Day 2022, Jesus is praying for you. Jesus wants you to be blessed. What's the greatest blessing that Jesus can give you? To know Him. Because I'll tell you this. I just finished Ecclesiastes in English yesterday. And you get to Ecclesiastes 12, you get the current biography of Bob Vincent. You want a description of old age? Ecclesiastes 12 has it. And the wife says, don't say you're old. Okay, I'm not old. I have all the health, all the strength, all the wealth I need until the day my purpose on earth is fulfilled. You ever thought about that? That your life is immortal and you will have absolutely everything you need to do what God wants you to do. Notice that qualifying thing. To do what God wants you to do. Not so you can be fat and sassy. Not so you can fly your Learjet up to Nova Scotia just to see the total eclipse of the sun. But God will give you the strength, the energy and the health and sufficient wealth to accomplish what he's called you as an individual to accomplish. So Jesus doesn't pray for the world, but for those that God the Father gave him. And he prays for those in the future. So we go back to Luke chapter 22, and we look at at verse 32 again. I prayed for you, Simon. I prayed for thee, Simon, that thy faith may not fail. That thy faith may not fail. Did, did Jesus pray for Judah's faith not to fail? No, no, he didn't. If Jesus had interceded for Judas, that his faith wouldn't fail, Judas would not have betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that for a moment. I've prayed for thee, Peter, that thy faith won't fail. Think about it for a moment. I've prayed for thee. Jesus did not intercede for Judas. In fact, Satan had already put it in Judas's heart to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew it. And when finally Jesus is observing the Passover with his disciples. When Judas takes what was designed to be a means of grace, it became a means of damnation and judgment. And Satan personally entered into Judas. His faith failed. Jesus didn't pray for him. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't pray for everybody. You should. But notice what he says further. And when thou hast turned back, when you've turned back, he says, strengthen your brothers. 
This isn't just foreknowledge in the sense of prescience, like Jesus looked into this great crystal ball and said, oh yeah, I see all this. No, no. God's foreknowledge is God's predetermination. It's predestination. Now there's a mystery here, because if we don't pray, we won't see God's will done. But we will pray, because God has predestined the prayers as well as the end result. That's a mystery. Can I explain it? No. Can you? No. You might think you can, but you can't. They're mysteries that are too deep for us to to resolve in this life, in this world. But the point is, human responsibility is essential because God has ordained not only the end result, but the means to that end. So Jesus is speaking to Peter and he says, and when you've turned back, strengthen your brethren. Now I want to say before I get to the application here, that we are saved by Jesus' prayers, not our own. We're saved by Jesus' prayers, by His bloody death on the cross, by His resurrection from the dead, by His vanquishing the host of hell in hell, by His ascending to the right hand of the Father where He is still, here and now, on May the 8th, 2022, pleading with the Father for you and for me. But God uses people. And I want to take a moment to honor my mother today. My mother was a Presbyterian preacher's daughter. Her mother was a Methodist preacher's daughter. I am descended, because of my mama, from five Baptists, four Methodists, and one Presbyterian minister. The last one was a Presbyterian, so that's how it happened to be that I would be. And my mother was a godly woman. She loved Jesus from an early age. She'd get confused about things. She remembered going to church, and she remembered that in those days, churches didn't have air conditioning or fans. And she remembered that they had these long sticks, and they would go up and hook the top window and pull it down and lift the bottom window, and the natural airflow created a breeze through the church. And so when she was a little girl... She saw these things, they looked like spears, and she didn't hear words clearly, as little children are prone to do, and she thought that was a spear, and she confused the word spear with spirit, and she knew the church was God's house, and she thought that thing was God. Children have all kinds of weird, weird pictures of things, don't they? Mama was not, was not raised in the house at Port Gibson Presbyterian Church because her daddy went there in 1909 and left the same year. And I found out from my good friend, Mike Karen, who lives in that house that my grandfather lived in, that that year the boll weevil hit Port Gibson. So there was no money to be had. But my mother grew up and knew the Lord and loved the Lord. And she wanted, she pleaded with God that one day she would marry And she would be the person who would have a pastor. None of her siblings were clergy at all. Many were elders. Some were on the vestry. They were either Presbyterians or Episcopalians. But she pleaded with God for that to happen. One day, when she finished teaching at Vanderbilt, uh, obstetrical nursing, she became a public health nurse in South Carolina. 
And my daddy was a health officer. And they got to know each other at work. And you know, lo and behold, my daddy was Presbyterian. And that certainly made him a Christian just as much as some dog that might walk in here is a Christian. And so mama met daddy at work and daddy was as charming a man as you'd ever want to meet. He was tall, he was handsome, and he uh, was a great conversationalist. And he asked her out on a date. And on July the 12th, 1938, they went on a double date to a roadhouse because that's during Prohibition. And um, while the other couple went into the roadhouse, Daddy leaned over to Mama and said, Would you marry me? And she said, Not without a ring. And when the other couple came out, they rode in, into Bennettsville, South Carolina. They got a ring. They found a justice of the peace. And they got married that night by a justice of the peace. And they went for their honeymoon to Myrtle Beach, which is where I was raised. And she called her Mama. Her Daddy was still alive. And she said, Mama, I got married. And my Aunt Ruth, who was born after my, my mother, born in 1915, and she didn't want anyone to, you know, that's not even on her gravestone. Anyhow, didn't want anybody to know that, but it's okay now, Aunt Ruth, you know. Thanks for being kind to me in your will. And um, she would imitate my mama, her mama, Methodist preacher's daughter. Who on earth to... Well, I'm going to tell you, that impulsive act drove my mother to her knees like nothing in her whole life. Because my father played poker, and he memorized every card that was played in a poker game at the country club. He knew who got it, he knew what hands they were holding, and he used his great degree of intelligence to do that. But then afterwards, he was wound up like a top. And he had to unwind, and so the way he unwound was with bootleg whiskey. And he came home drunk. And he was mean. My older brother, who died in 1985, told me, so Daddy was mean. And my mother found him mean. Now, Mama did not believe in divorce, but she did believe in one thing. She believed in prayer. You know what she did? She'd get on her knees. And this was her prayer. Lord, change him or kill him. Do you know that God answered my mother's prayers? God changed my father. God changed my father. Amazingly, he used the man who wrote that chorus, Spirit of the Living God, fall afresh on me, to convert my father to Jesus Christ. That man was Dan Iverson. He was a Southern Presbyterian minister in the Miami, Florida area. And he held a revival uh, in a church that my father and mother attended in Myrtle Beach. And that's when my father was converted. But where I want to focus this is that my father was a wonderful man. He was a kind man. He put his family above everything else. And he always got us up early in the morning and took us to the drugstore on Sunday morning and would get us something and then take us to Sunday school. He wanted to make sure that his children looked forward to being in Sunday school. He was always there to pick me up. But this is not a sermon meditating on my daddy, but on my mama. When I got into high school, I became a drunk. I was a drunk for three years in high school. I don't know how I passed, but I did. I don't know how my parents never found out about it. But I remember the night I, they did find out about it. When our family doctor, who also was my Sunday school teacher, brought me home drunk 
souse drunk, covered with sand in a black raincoat. And the doctor put me to bed. And somewhere around two or three in the morning, I woke up, as I have to do every night. And I, when I looked at myself in the mirror, I saw blood coming out of this ear. And then I looked out, and there was Mama and Daddy. And Daddy's words, boy, I ain't going to fuss at you. I ain't going to fuss at you. He said, just promise me you'll never drink again. <laughs> oh, yeah, I promise anything. But he got my mama and daddy to come to his office Sunday morning before Sunday school and met with us. And then he got my mother agreed, daddy didn't, to come to his Bible study on Thursday nights. And it was through that that I became a believer. But I'm going to tell you this. My memories of my mother getting up in the night. I could look down the, through the living room into her bedroom. She always liked to sleep with the light on. And there she was on her knees. My mother was the most praying woman I ever met in my life. Praying always. My mother knew how to raise a child. How do you raise a child? You raise a child on your knees. You can read this book, that book. You could read Dr. Dobson or you could read Benjamin Spock. You want to know how to raise a child? Raise a child on your knees. Because foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. And even the rod of correction doesn't work without prayer. You've got to intercede. You've got to weep before God. You've got to cry before God to see your children raised for God and become believers. Because discipline without the Holy Ghost will either produce a great hypocrite or an angry, defiant rebel. Let me say it again. Discipline without the Holy Ghost will either produce a great hypocrite or a defiant rebel. It takes grace for a child to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ really and truly. And Mama knew that. Mama understood that. And Mama pleaded the promises of God before God over and over and over again. Mama was more persistent than the devil. And one day, I was converted to Christ. It was in the church I was raised in, on the third floor of their Sunday school wing, and back in those days, no church ever locked its doors. So I met with some guys there, and they began to share with me. None of them were Presbyterians. I was the only Presbyterian there. And that night, in a very quiet way, no emotion, no nothing, a prayer I'd prayed many times, I knew God answered it. As my mother got older, she became increasingly feeble, physically and mentally. Never forget that your brain is like the motherboard and hardware in a computer. But your mind is like the programming and the stored memory. Your brain, like a computer, is going to wear out. But your mind, what the Bible calls the soul, will go on forever because God has the greatest backup system in the world. In fact, it isn't even backed up. You continue on. Your soul, your mind continues on. There's never a break in it. But my mother began to become very feeble. 
I moved my mama and daddy to our, where we lived in Alexandria in 1983. Daddy died in 1987, and mama lived with us until 1991. You know what happened? Honoring mothers on Mother's Day. When my mother got feeble, God changed this pretty little girl without a lick of sense, because she wouldn't have married me if she had, into a tremendous prayer warrior. So I'm going to say to you as I close, on Mother's Day, I'm grateful for mothers. I'm grateful for an intercessor. I'm grateful for somebody that will go to the mat for me as my mother did and as my wife has done for me. I honor my wife on Mother's Day. And I honor the memory of my mother, who I've got a pretty good theory that right now, on May the 8th, 2022, she's still interceding for me. So I challenge you this way on Mother's Day, whomever you are, I want you to become a mother like my mother, like my wife. I'm talking to men. I'm talking to women. I'm talking to children. I'm talking to people who've never had a child. I want you to become a mother because it is in the intercessions of a mother that future generations are shaped for God and brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray for those who are suffering because I look over this congregation today and I believe there isn't a single solitary person here today who doesn't have some very serious burden on your back. Pray for those you know have a burden on their back. And what do you pray? Lord, their faith won't fail. Lift up my friend Aaron. Lift up other people you know and you love. Pray for those who are old and infirm. Pray for those who are struggling with cancer. Pray for those who, like Miss Bobby, are facing serious surgery tomorrow. Pray for Von Seal and her husband Ron. Pray for all of those. Pray for Jim Niven, who lost his precious Orina, our choir director. Pray, pray, pray. Pray for Patsy, who lost her beloved Doyle. For all of us here who have, have lost a spouse, lost a child, lost a grandchild, or sometimes we just feel all alone. As the Negro spiritual said, sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Do you feel that way? Take comfort. The Lord Jesus Christ, this very day, is at the right hand of the Father, pleading with the Father. And there are a host of Christian believers in heaven now who love you, who are pleading on your behalf. And if you don't know the Lord, why not let today be the day when you seek Him until you find Him? It's not just saying the sinner's prayer. It's not walking the aisle, though I have no problem with that. It's seek the Lord till you find Him. That's how you're saved. Seek the Lord till you find Him. May we pray. Lord, we pray that you would take this message and use it to draw people to yourself who don't know you. That you would use it in the lives of believers to motivate us to do the one thing we can do that makes a difference in the world. Intercede. Lord, instead, the news, Facebook, 
Everything else just stirs up anger in us, and our anger at politicians only keeps us from praying with a bad, because it gives us a bad heart. Lord, would you grant to us this very day to let go of everything, to lay it all down at your feet in order that we might make a difference in the world because our world is sliding into hell. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Oh, Lamb of God, you who take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us and grant us your peace. In Jesus' name.